Wholesome Transmissions is sponsored by Riptide Esports. Riptide is a fantastic upcoming esports organization that focuses on community and camaraderie more than just results. Similar to the message of this show, Riptide knows that player well-being and outlook is just as important as performance and skill, and that's why we're thrilled to be sponsored by them. Follow them on Twitter at Riptide underscore HQ and get plugged into their Discord server that's open to the public. Hey everyone, it's Pineapple. Just a quick note before we start the episode, this episode contains some not-so-nice four-letter words in it. We've bleeped them out, so if you hear this sound, that means it was bleeped. In the context of the sentences, it may be obvious what was said, so if you have kids, you may want to listen to this episode without them. Enjoy the show! Welcome, everyone, back to Wholesome Transmissions, uh, the show where we basically talk about people, um, the games that they play, and also kind of how they intersect with their lives. And um, this episode, really excited to start um, back into season two. And again, this the season that we're calling um, is Therapy Sessions and sort of really delving into um, our guest lives and sort of their struggles and trying to kind of cope with um, disappointments in the past and regrets and kind of come through it with what what people have learned and what they have taken away from that. And I'm really excited with the episodes we've recorded so far and really excited today. So I'm joined by um, Resolve, um, aka Henry Mason. And anyone in the arms community has probably heard of Resolve, but um, for anyone listening who needs a refresher as well, um, Resolve's, I mean, really one of the best arms players in the world. Um, he's also a professional voice actor. Um, for RCRE and Associates. Um, he's also a musician and he, he was a, I don't know if you, do you still box currently? Not currently, okay. but I did. <laughs> yes, did. yes, you did. So um, Resolve has um, won a lot of tournaments. Um, he won two DGs arms tournaments. He placed second in Evo Japan, um, won the arms US and Canada online open tournament which uh, we both participated in. Um, and then he's also working on an audio drama that's going to start in 2020 called That Night on Venom. So it's based around the, the Star Fox universe. And um, you also played at a lot of concerts. So uh, Resolve, just one, really glad to, to have you um, here with us. And um, I guess starting out, you know, how are, how are you doing and how has life been treating you? I'm good, yeah. Um, life's been treating me well, even better. Now that you think, uh, I, I totally missed this, but <laughs> oh, go ahead. I definitely did not get second at Evo Japan. Did you? That was not... Gore. That was Gore Magala. Was it? You went. You went back to um, Japan for another tournament, though. What was that? So Tokaigi. That was it. Yeah, was my my uh, <laughs> my return to Japan, and I got third there. Okay. All right. That's what I was thinking of. Yeah, I know. Well, yeah, I re- <laughs> you basically you basically play second. We'll just go with that. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> second round of pools, maybe. Uh, yes. All right. Well, <laughs> I mean, it's something. Uh, <laughs> potatoes, potatoes. Yes. Exactly. Um, and I guess jumping into it now, though, you so you were at, um, at university in New York, and now you're back in New York, um, working at, you know, doing voice acting, and I guess kind of wanted to talk about sort of, one, I mean, how has that been going for you, kind of being back in the city and now in the workforce, and what, what else has uh, city life had for you? It's awesome, yeah, I'm still in the school force. Uh, okay. 
finishing up my senior year at Marymount Manhattan, getting my uh, acting BFA degree while being in the workforce. I have a uh, <laughs> I have a part time at an escape room in New York City. Oh, on top of uh... <laughs> on top of voiceover. Yeah, it's an absolute blast, though. I mean, it's the most relaxed job in the entire world. You sit up there and basically do my own voiceover <laughs> for these uh, <laughs> groups, depending on the room and the theme. Yeah. Dr. Snake or um, the Night Stalker and the prison escape room. And it's so laid back. I can work on homework and other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I'm- and alongside with voiceover, it's just an absolute blast. So, well, awesome. And um, I got that's kind of funny because when we had um, our friend Nine Whole Greens on the show, who's obviously, you know, also a commentator for Splatoon, and he also works part time at an escape room. And um, I think that both you and his personalities just <laughs> you're really laid back and really chill. And I think that's they go so well with funny. that. Yeah, I, I can definitely see that going well for you at, at that sort of atmosphere. <laughs> wow, what a new stereotype the escape room worker. That's like a new generational stereotype. It's it's the escape room slash, um, like video gamer or voice actor commentator. It's like it's some yeah some of that yeah yeah that's that's what we're going for. (laughs) It really is. Wow, I never thought of it like that. Um, (laughs) and I um so I guess going on though, I did want to ask. Um, so tell us a bit about the audio drama that you're working on. So that's the other thing that I thought was really fascinating. And I saw I saw you tweet about it a while back, and I was like, that looks different and really interesting to see. Yeah. So this whole thing was just like a little happy accident. Uh, Okay. I remember uh, it was the beginning of this year. It was January. And for New Year's, whenever me or some of my friends are all back in town in New Orleans, where I'm from, mm-hmm. we have like a drinking game of sorts. And each time everyone has to pick a new one and they each get a little, I know, a little more ridiculous every time. <laughs> yeah. Like one is Mario Party. And then the next one is like go-karts. And the next one is like a bunch of people in black morph suits, like running around <laughs> the forest at night. And one has a candle. And then, you know. This one, one of our friends, Solomon Jupiter, um, is a music producer, Mm -hmm. and he thought it'd be hilarious if all of us, while a little buzzed, created our own beats in within the time frame of an hour. So we download this music software, all of us never having made anything worth listening to in our life. Okay. And we come up with these beats, uh, and it was just so fun. I just had so much fun creating these beats, no matter how trash they were. And so I kept tinkering at it, and I kind of found this sound that I really liked. And it was this kind of electronic, space-like synth vibe um, sound. And I kept experimenting with it. And with these heavy drums behind it, something about it rang true to Star Fox. I don't know how, (laughs) I don't know why my mind went there. I promise I was completely sober when this idea came to me. Um, And voice acting is what I do every day, and I absolutely love it. And I'm looking to challenge myself and improve in any time I can. And I thought, wow, what if I made like a Star Fox audio drama that kind (laughs) of recounted 
the events that happened in the 64 version. But then I thought, okay. well, that's boring. Who wants to hear <laughs> what they've already played? I mean, at least 30 times now because yeah. Nintendo themselves remake it all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, and it just got more and more complex. And now it's this completely original uh, story where the listener embarks on this journey to find out what did happen that night on Venom with James okay. McCloud, Peppy Hair, Pigma, um, and Andros. What went down and what would happen if the Star Fox team received a distress signal from Katina first? So their first mission was to head to Katina. Mm -hmm. um, and what would happen if Wolf, in talks with Andrew, which is Andros's nephew, decided to ambush Katina as well? And so there's all this stuff going on Katina. Um, oh, man. It's just, I can't say too much without spoiling anything. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah, no, but I get that. There's been hundreds of hours slaved into this. Um, it's an audio drama true at heart, meaning... There's tons of cool mechanics I've kind of introduced where you'll be hearing some people's voices on the right and left side of your headphones mm -hmm. in order to tell that Falco's on your left, Slippy's on your right, uh, sounds fading in and out. A lot of audio engineering has gone into it. A lot of love. And uh, I'll be playing, I think, I think it's 12 characters I'm playing. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I had to book a lot of sessions with a coach of mine. Uh, oh. And we, we went over individually every <laughs> every character from from Fox McCloud and entering Corneria airspace to Slippy Frog and how he's kind of just quirky and kind of <laughs> speeds up at certain times and no oh, sorry that's a little a little awkward right and kind of hitting every nuanced character whether it's Bill who kind of flies in like a surfer doesn't really care but has that sweet side to him. Um, and yeah, we touched upon like every single character. We've hit them all in the nose. The script's coming along just fantastically. Uh, yeah, I, I could sit here and rant about it for I mean, hours upon <laughs> well, hours. I, I do want to ask. So, how much? Um, so, you said like, are you are you also obviously writing the script as well? And how totally. is it kind of, okay? And how has it been like one writing the script for it, but also when you're creating like a medium, like an audio drama, like I know you've done voice acting, but it is a different feel in terms totally. of you have to like, think about the the background noises and all that. So um, it seems, so this is like sort of a passion project for you then. Oh my God. Yeah. And it's such an <laughs> undertaking. I had no idea because a lot of us are visual learners and visual thinkers. Mm -hmm. I think, I think I might fall into that because when you think about writing a story, you're seeing it. The problem is they won't be seeing it. They're going to be hearing no. it. Um, yeah. So everything I see, I need to find a way to translate that into sound or in all these boss fights. I'll, I'll, um, I contact the, what is it, 1999? The 1999 Star Fox 64 manual uh -huh. uh, that was first issued in Nintendo Power. I have that manual and I contact <laughs> it all the time to make sure all my lore is exactly right so yeah. I'm not letting down anybody. And I'll be like, oh, sick. Like, I didn't even realize the first boss had these mechanics because everyone kills him so quickly <laughs> that it's like, you just thought he walked around, right? And yeah. then I'm like, what an awesome mechanic. However, I have to come up with mechanics that stay true to the character all the while communicate with the listener so they can know what's happening without actually seeing it. Yeah. So then there's that to tackle. Um, and oh my God, writing a script is so easy if... You don't really care about it. The more yeah. you care about 
about something, like with everything, the harder it gets. And I'm such a huge fan of stories like Attack on Titan mm-hmm. by um, Hajime Isayama, right? Shingeki no Kyojin, where there's foreshadowing from chapter one to chapter 123. And every panel is framed in a certain way to where it parallels something else. And so I wish I could show you a picture, but my walls are just absolutely covered in these <laughs> sticky notes that are color-coded with layers on them, storyboarding yeah. everything from each moment that foreshadows a moment, and I'll have an arrow of sticky notes pointing to another moment and maybe episode seven that parallels this journey and how this conversation might repeat four or five of the same words from a conversation in episode eight between Wolf and James and how Peppy and Fox. Oh, yeah, it's... uh. It's a lot, and it can get to the point where you're writing something like this, and you just feel like you're drowning in your own thoughts. And it's just like, it's impossible to swim in this, and there's no way I'm getting this on the page. But um, the more you just sit down and work on it every little day, then you look back on where you started, and you're like, wow, I'm, I'm halfway up this mountain. Yeah, exactly. Why go down, right? Yep. Why was at the top? Yeah. I think the best goal you can have for anything creative driven is just to finish it. As long mm-hmm. as you can finish it, you can move on to the next project. Yeah. No, I mean, that, that's that's really good advice. And I, I think, I mean, one, two things I wanted to touch on. One being, I think that's really interesting because I... I myself, one of the reasons why I sort of wanted to start the show was I've listened to a, a lot of podcasts recently. So I've been listening to a lot of um, either um, like journalistic podcasts, but also um, sort of audio dramas. And I think it's really fascinating because I think the industry is also growing faster than ever. And people are really delving into the medium and seeing what you can do with sort of just an audio experience. And it's really interesting because it's like a hallmark, like it's taking us back to like the era of radio and telling these stories over this. And it's really fascinating because the amount of things that you can do and also the amount of clever um, ways you can foreshadow or use sound effects to enhance the stories is really incredible. And um, I guess I'm, I'm just really glad to hear that one, this project has been going well for you and that it's also sort of been something that you enjoy doing and you can pour a lot of your efforts into. Um, and I guess kind of going uh, onward from that, one of the things I did want to ask you then is um, one, what have been some of the struggles with the projects? And also like, it seems that right now you're able to sort of live out your dreams. Cause I remember back in arms, you talked about how you really wanted to be a voice actor. And now you're sort of, you know, <laughs> you're sort of, you're sort you are there in a sense. So if you're, you're able to, you know, you're working for a company now doing voice acting and you're obviously creating this audio drama, but what are some of the obstacles you continue to face and how are you, you know, overcoming that? Yeah. Wow. 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 Um, yeah. So a lot of the obstacles, the audio drama, has just been letting go of this judgment in my head. Whenever I sit down to start writing, mm-hmm. I, I will literally, I've literally sat down and stared at my computer for maybe an hour or two and maybe have gotten one line down because I'll write it and I'll be like, ah, but, and because I do theater acting and voiceover, it's like the more you know, the harder it is. Like yeah. knowledge is such a weapon, but it's such like a two-sided sword and it sucks sometimes because I know, I know if I didn't know what I know, I could write the script, finish it, 
and be like, okay, it's done. Does it <laughs> yeah. suck? It might suck, but you know what? That's what tomorrow is for. Mm-hmm. I can wake up and when you revise stuff, it just gets better and better. But when you just sit there and hesitate and wait and second guess and judge yourself, you're just like, oh, well, would Slippy say this? Well, what's Slippy's scene objective in this scene? What's the drama? And how do I relate to this drama? <laughs> super objective. And do his words reflect his super objective? But wait, but wait, Falco's in the room, but Fox isn't. So how does that reflect what he's saying? Because there's yeah. a different ambiance in the room than when Falco's there and Fox isn't because Fox isn't here to save Slippy from when Falco gets mad at him. But Peppy's there. Does Slippy reach out to <laughs> Is he going to say anything? Peppy's kind of in the dumps. Is Slippy... Uh, someone who's kind of OCD and focused on what he's doing. It's like, oh my God. And I'm like, Henry, just, and then I just, <laughs> I just walk. I just go outside and I walk. Yeah. And I, I do the soundtrack too, or at least half of it for the series. And so I'll put on some of the soundtrack because um, that just helps me going. And I'm like, okay, uh, let me just think in terms of music, how this works. What's Slippy's sound? How does he fit into this orchestra of uh, the scene? What's yeah. the drama of the scene? If I can get the drama of the scene down and what's going on, like, oh, the drama is, for instance, when uh, Falco and Fox go at it for their leadership and this this struggle for status among the team. Mm-hmm. What's the drama there? How does Slippy relate to this? Does he want to break it up? Does he want to go in? Or is he so socially awkward and inept at perceiving social cues? Does he just jump in and pick a side without knowing it? Uh, I, I think so. <laughs> my biggest struggles are that I overthink things, and I think yeah. a lot of us do, and I'm not alone in that, at least. Fox, you're supposed to shoot them all. Steve, can anyone take care of it? Falco, where are you going? You worry about your own high. Don't relax. We're not done yet. I overthink everything, and it does. Once you, the more you know about any field, it helps you because you're able to do it more skillfully, but it takes you back because especially if you're already someone who might be prone to self-doubt or like, or you, you, you struggle with understanding your own worth, it just gets more difficult because you overthink everything and think, well, you know what? A million other people have done this sort of storyline or they've done this cliche or like, exactly. I don't want to follow this. So you get inside your own head too much. And that just like, it stops you from, from doing anything. And it, it can be very constricting. Exactly. And then what you love doing becomes what you hate doing. And then, mm-hmm. And then you're trapped, right? Because then you have nowhere to go. Because you're like, this is what I loved. Now, for some reason, I love going to work. And I hate doing what I loved. What's going on? Yeah. Yeah, but um, voice acting-wise, it, it's been awesome. It's, uh, that's, I mean, that's why I started doing it, right? I'm, I'm not a script writer by any means, but I do want to hold myself to standards of yeah. other works that I enjoy. And, you know, I think time is absolutely the most valuable thing anybody can give you. So if somebody presses play on something I created, I know they're giving me their most valuable resource. So why on earth would I ever want to waste that? Mm -hmm. Right? They're giving me their most valuable resource. It's only fair if I meet them and I invest my time into something that I love.
that way we be on the same level and with, you know, my greatest hope, they can walk away from it having been changed and um, maybe a smile on their face or um, a new feeling in their heart. Yeah, I mean, that, that's very well put. And I think that's, I mean, really, yeah, I mean, everyone's time is their most precious resource. And it, it's everyone, you know, especially in, in this day and age, everyone's vying for everyone's time and attention. And it just gets more and more difficult to break through that. And, and especially with um, a voice actor or even, you know, for us with this show, it's like, yeah, we're fighting for people's attention span and time. And it's not always um, easy to, to to hold that. So, um, totally, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you. I mean, thank you so much for, for that. And um, I guess on that note, we will take a, a short little break here and we will come back um, delving into really our arms discussion and kind of going back to your journey through the scene and some of the struggles oh, that happened. And yeah, it'll it'll be fun. So we'll be we'll be back in a little bit. just wanted to apologize before we start the second half the first part of this second half got corrupted and it was mainly the part where resolve and i talked about his upcoming audio drama that night on venom mainly just that you can find it on most podcast apps including the podcast app spotify apple podcast etc and by the time that this episode comes out most of those serials i think should be out so please go check it out and enjoy the second half delving right into the arms discussion Now, kind of getting into the the second half of our show, where we typically talk about esports and mentality and things like that, and we're going to kind of get into the the meat and potatoes of the discussion, which is really talking about sort of your your career in arms and talking about, um, I guess, starting out, just how well one, what brought your interest to the game, um, what has been your experience, kind of playing games competitively, maybe before and leading up to that, and then what kind of piqued your interest. Sure, yeah. So, I mean, before I got into ARMS, competitively, I played a lot of StarCraft. And that was probably the only game I seriously considered playing competitively. I would got to the Master rank, right below Grandmaster. Um, I played it for about a full year. uh, StarCraft II, Wings of Liberty. Mm -hmm. Um, And you know what? Honest to God, honest to God, I think that was the first time in my life that was probably freshman year in 
high school that I really found a passion for something. Yeah. And it was like this fire. And I know it's corny, but it really was. And it was just like, I just wanted to keep feeding it just to see what would happen. Right. And I was just addicted to feeding this fire. And it was like, oh, you know, day nine, Sean Plotz's his name. Day nine does these StarCraft two videos. He's one of like the founding fathers of esports. Mm-hmm. Um, he was the first ever person sponsored on Twitch oh, wow. um, to get verified on Twitch. I mean, he's just incredible. I think he has over like 5,000 daily vlogs on just esports, mental wellness and competitive um, mentalities and how to pursue it and how to learn from your mistakes. And it was just awesome. I finally felt like I could learn on mm-hmm. grounds that I was so comfortable learning on, you know, video games. Yeah. Right. Something we all love to do. But um, that was the first time I'd ever seen this glimpse of, oh, there's a whole thing about beating other people. It's not just beating (laughs) people on my block anymore. Yeah. Um, And then realizing, oh, I'm not that good. (laughs) Oh, I'm really not that good. And the the broader you look out, the more you realize you're the smallest fish in this huge pond. Yeah. Yeah. And you can either let it intimidate you or see it as this mountain that you're dying to climb. Um, and that's what it was for me up until I think they started changing the game a lot. And I was just like, eh, no, it's not going the way I wanted it to. Yeah. And then I found voiceover. So I transferred that heat to, uh, to voiceover. But that being said, in college, I played a lot of Smash Bros. Melee, mm-hmm. uh, which is, oh my God, I want to talk about a big mountain. Yeah. I mean, Jesus, what a what a just futile effort that was. It was yes. just like, it just felt like the most pointless endeavor of my life. I was just like, wow, I would re- really have to sit in this chair and practice these, uh, I guess they are combos. Yeah, these yeah, combos no, and yeah. just technicalities. Oh my god, it just felt like my brainstem was rotting out of my head. And I was like, I loved and I loved the game. Like yeah. it's no one can deny how I mean beautiful it is to watch two pros play, how crazy it can get, and just like the combo games and how they move and how liquid everything just looks. Oh yeah. Um and effortless. But man, let me tell you, trying <laughs> to play Oh my God. I mean, the worst was there was this place called Nebulous in New York City. And it was like literally a basement with a bunch of CRTVs. And I'd go there like every weekend. I did it for like a month. Every weekend, I'd go there last every time. (laughs) And it was not even like a close last. It was like, oh, all right. I just got 20 multi shined out of Wave Dash, (laughs) jump canceled off of Yoshi's story, and then spiked. And the, the worst part, oh my God, the worst part is they would just have no reaction to doing it. It would just be like, uh, all right, yeah, I just like 20 multi-shine that kid off of Yoshi's story. Huh? All right. No, no big deal. Right. And then, you know, after they beat you, it's like, good game. And they don't even turn their neck, right? They just uh, hold up the fist. Yeah, good game. Rip out their, their sweaty and waxy earbuds. And you're like, oh, cool. I'm glad I was just a literal speed bump. <laughs> on your way to uh, the top 16. Yeah. Oh, it was the worst feeling on planet Earth. Because it was just like, 
it wasn't like, oh, cool. I messed up my wave dash. Like that's what I need to work on. It was my wave dash. And once I do that, nope. It was like, oh, I need to learn everything. Yeah, no, yeah. I don't there's know anything. There's so much tech. There's there's so many things to learn when you start like a a, a game like melee, for instance, because there's just so many mechanics that you need to pick up and there's no easy way around. You just have to spend hours upon hours grinding them out. There's like there's no fast, fast Quite way to literally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you're walking into a room where people have been doing this for 15 years plus, right? Exactly. And you're like, oh, good. Like, wow, what a fun game. You know, there's no, <laughs> oh my God, this is why fighting games are awesome at the same time suck. Because <laughs> let me just say, there's no worse feeling when your friend's like, oh yeah, come over, we'll play some video games. And you're like, oh, sick, what do, what do you have? Oh no. Oh, I got <laughs> Dragon Ball Fighter Z. I got Mortal Kombat, I got, and you're like, um, okay, well... I'm the not issue good at is, movies. yeah. The issue is, I, I, I didn't open up my Mortal Kombat textbook last night. I didn't memorize eighty <laughs> combos just to be able to play the game, right? Yeah. Not even be able to play it well. Like I don't even know what the counters are to moves, but just to be able to even pick up the controller without button mashing like a complete Nimrod. Mm-hmm. Oh, like what a turn off, right? Like, ah, uh, like. And there's no worse feeling than being the friend and you're like, I just want them to enjoy the game I love so much, knowing yeah. fully well, you're going to have to go home for maybe a week or two just to learn how to play. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. What a horrible <laughs> thing to say. Right? Oh. Yeah. That's one of the that's one of the th- reasons why, like, especially in, in my group of real life friends, I've never I've never once seriously recommended to someone that we play arms. Like, <laughs> no, I've never been like, let's play this fighting game that you guys know that I've played competitively, and it's not going to be a fun experience for you. So, like, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my god! But at the least, you know, with arms, you can see it and understand it. It's like, yeah, oh, yeah. I need to hit him. So, I, and I guess going from yeah. And I guess going from there then, so what, um, so what, I guess what intrigued you about arms in particular and then why did you sort of get into the scene? It was the perfect game for me. I mean, Mm -hmm. I've been trying to play melee, you know, completely futile effort. And I kept saying to myself, if a fighting game came out tomorrow that everybody had to start fresh at, that nobody could, you know, pull out combos from when they were in third grade, and that they're now 42 years old, if I could now just pick up a game where everyone started fresh, I think I could do it. I think I could actually like work my way up this ladder mm-hmm. and have a serious chance of competing for gold, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I saw it, I was like, this is it. Like, I don't care if it flops. I don't care if it's the biggest thing in the world. It's new. Yeah. Nobody knows anything going into it. It's hit or not be hit, right? It's like super simple. Um, I just loved it. I love the concept of finally I can play rock, paper, scissors on crack without having to go study for it. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, that's exactly, that's one of the reasons why I was drawn to it as well is it was this idea of everyone's on an even playing field now and it's, no one has an edge on it. So everyone's learning at the same time and it's then based around how quickly you can pick up the mechanics and how quickly you can adapt and it's sort of, yeah. So and I, so going from there, then what, like when you were starting out playing arms, were you, I mean, did you find yourself being good initially or was it just sort of like, Oh my you God, had- no, <laughs> I was so 
bad. <laughs> it was unspeakably bad. I, 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 I'm not even joking. I literally remember. Oh my god! I remember I walked over to Nintendo New York, and I said, "Oh, are you guys having a midnight release for um, Arms?" Because mm-hmm. and I was it was at like eight p.m. and I was like, "I'm gonna wait outside for it." And they go, "Oh no, you just come back at nine in the morning." And, oh, <laughs> and all right, that kind of killed my like buzz for it. But I was like, oh, "Yeah, all right." Went back home to my dorm that I was staying in over the summer, um, and I came back at nine in the morning. I, I picked it up. I went home. I was so excited. I plopped out my switch. Didn't have a TV in my dorm, so I literally mm-hmm. used a stupid kickstand on it. Yeah, on yeah. My, my dorm dresser. I I moved my chair out the way. I you know dusted off my Joy Cons. I was getting <laughs> ready to use the motion that I'd seen because oh, no. everyone was saying it's all oh, the motion's the way to do it. I can see where this is going. And I was like, I I I can't hit him once. <laughs> I literally cannot hit the first person once. Yeah. And I was like, if I just get the fundamentals down, it'll be fun, right? And it just, oh my God, it felt painful. I was like, wow, I really can't hit anything. Yeah. I it think... wasn't until I, I used the controller that I was like, oh, this is fun. And did it did it sort of click initially or was it and still it clicked and I was like, this is yeah. fun. And I'm missing my punches right now, but I can see when I start landing them, this could be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and from there, then it went to the age-old question of, who's my main? (laughs) Trying to find out, oh, who's who's my main? You got to start with the coolest one first, right? So easily went to Kid Cobra and easily found myself sucking. (laughs) Wow, I'm bad. I was like, wow, I'm I'm even worse than when I was the default guy. I was like, wow, this is awful. Uh, Tried bite and bark. I I tried everybody. Um... And I didn't find anyone that I was good with. So I was like, you know what? I'll just stick to the default guy until I master the fundamentals. And then maybe that'll translate yeah. to one of the other ones. And then I'll find out who I'm good at. Um, and it wasn't until playing online where I started figuring out how to utilize Springman's dash mechanic, the deflect, that I was like, oh, I get it. And I get it because I figured it out. I didn't look it up on some guide. I was like, I get mm-hmm. it. I get the pressure and like the pressure, no pressure strategy now. Like I get it. Like, oh, I think I found my guy. Yeah. And it was so exciting to finally find a main that clicks so well in any fighting game. Yeah. It's no small feat. I mean, I think that finding someone that fits your one, your I think you have to find a character in any competitive game that one fits the way you want to play the game and your sort of win condition but also kind of suits your personality because some people like they're okay with like, okay, I use this one move and that's it. And I'm okay with doing that. But then there's other people who are like, I want a larger kit of, of a, a, available options that I can right. use. And Naturally. Yeah. So like there are, you know, it's difficult, I think. And it's, it's funny that you started with Kid Cobra went to Springman Cause I, I started with, oh. uh, I tried bite and bark and I was like, I, cause I thought he looked really awesome. Oh yeah. And then I was just like, I'm terrible at this. So I, I picked up Kid <laughs> Cobra next and I just never like switched off. Cause I'm like, I kind of get how he works and I'm sure I can learn it. And then it just never, I just never switched again. <laughs> yeah. Once you get like a character in arms, it's like, Oh, okay. I get him. And if I have a weakness, I have the arms. Yeah. I can just swap out the arms and then that'll cover my weakness. And that that works up until, you know, a very, very, very 
small pile of players to where you're like, I don't think any of these arms are going to work. Yeah. No, then it's then it becomes a real struggle at that point. And yeah, um, I guess so I go going from sort of when you started in the scene and a little bit onward. I, I mean, I remember the time frame of when you started playing on like scrimps online tournaments and you started kind of getting in the public eye and people started recognizing you and your name. And so what was kind of going like what how how did you handle that or what was going on in your head as you started placing better in tournaments and started getting more recognition and what was the effect on you it was awesome i mean i remember winning the first tournament it was the arms arms lab i believe arms lab four Mm -hmm. uh, hosted by um what is his name moosh yeah, I was going to say, yeah. And it was a blast. And oh my God, that rush. That was the first tournament I'd ever won. And I was like, it was just a rush. I was like, oh my God, did you see that moment when like, oh, and the nade. And like, I jumped over the nade. I was like, this is sick. Uh, you know, I barely pulled it out. Like, I'm not even gonna, you know, sugarcoat it. It, it was close. Um, and by no means should I have won. I mean, the arms I was using was, was abysmal. Um, <laughs> I think I was using Boomerang at the time. Boomerang was like, oh my god, you couldn't hit a brick wall with it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, and then when I moved to New York City, back for classes, uh, sophomore year, I found Nebulous. You know, because my dorm had like a type C nat type. So I couldn't play online from there. So oh, yeah. I had to haul all my stuff, go to Nebulous and pay a $15 venue fee. And I could play there as long as I wanted. Um, you know, at the expense of myself, who would get belittled by all these melee players, you know, calling me <laughs> brain dead and stuff. Uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> so that, that was fun. Um, but yeah, and then I would go there and I would practice before every night for Shrimps's, uh fight nights mm-hmm. and then when it came around I would just get in the zone and I would start knocking them out and I remember winning some of them and Scrims was just starting it up it was like the first one Scrims had done and yeah. I would keep messaging him like oh update the scores like what are the scores who's like the lead and he's like alright alright like I'm, I'm gonna get to <laughs> it like I have work like he's like who the hell is this kid like why the hell is he so persistent about these scores like who cares man that's that's funny because okay so scrims obviously we had him on the first season for any listeners and he hosted the uh, wednesday night fight clubs um which was like a round robin with 15 players and you just fought everyone and it was sort of this like bloody like (laughs) rush of like you just fought so many different players at once that it was really chaotic and it's funny that you mentioned that because I remember Scrimps and me were talking at the same time and he was, I was talking to him and I said, Hey, I'll update the scores for you. So I think, I, so it was, so I ended up being the person who was updating. No the. Yeah. Yeah. I was entering all the results. Cause I was like, Hey, I'm wow. Good. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, didn't that was... know that Scrimps. <laughs> Damn. Well, I had a ghost writer. Yeah. I mean, it was, I, I'm a, I'm a mathematician at heart, so I love numbers. So I was like, Hey, I can, I can do this. <laughs> That's so funny. I never yeah. knew. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I just, I kept playing in those and it was amazing practice. Um, and 
I swear to God, this is really what happened. And I don't know if it was a combination of finding the sweet spot in that patch, mm-hmm. whatever it was, right? I forgot what patch it was that I was playing in the Fight Club. Um, I don't know if it was finding the sweet spot in that patch, finding the kit I worked really well with. Um, I don't know what it was, but slowly my online losses just kind of stopped happening. Yeah. And I just, maybe it was, I don't know, that I realized what matchups I was really good at and which ones I was bad at, and I focused on those. And I can't really say, but I just remember one day at, at uh, Nebulous being like, I'm not losing a lot of matches online. This is mm-hmm. really bizarre. And it feels like there was this confidence of like, I can just trust my instincts. I don't need to overthink every match. Um, the thinking's been done. Like, trust yourself. And I started going to these fight clubs with that, you know, mentality. Um, of course, changing my play style and stuff whenever somebody whose name I recognize would come up. You know, if I knew I was going up against uh, Griff when he played Mummy, mm-hmm. I, would, I would have to keep my distance and be like, once he gets in close, it's over. So I need to, I need to be careful when I put the pressure on and get out fast. Um, but yeah, this lose has just stopped happening and this confidence kind of came up. And I don't know if it was a combination of a lot of things or just one thing. But that's when I started um, taking all the fight clubs. Like yeah. every one, I think. I think there were a few losses like against you and some other people. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's no. how it went, yeah. And so, and then, and I think it was around around that point is when you were reaching out to looking to get sponsored because you started like not only winning scrimps local tournaments, but then you also started doing really well in like the more, the online major tournaments that like two GG was running. And, um, I mean, there was, there was a number of, of larger tournaments at that point in the, the game's lifespan. Um, right. So, yeah. I, I remember I tanked the first two GG. Oh my God. I got <laughs> beat out by, by magnet. Do you know who Magnet is? PTW yeah, yeah. Magnet? He, yeah. He used he to be me. he used to be Kid Cooper me. That's right. He murdered me. He he knocked <laughs> me out the first two GG. And I was, oh my God, inspired so much will of of hitting the grind and um I think joining TCM and then uh working the ranks up in TCM. Um and that really drove me to kind of say, okay, I, I need to get my tournament placings up. And it was that second 2GG that I saw the opportunity. And I remember looking at my bracket the night before and being like, I have to fight Catfight. And I was like, oh my God, he's like the twin cell to beat besides Jared. Mm-hmm. But I remember Noble Soul was a guy who beat him constantly. And yeah. so I'd watch all his matches and I was like, what is he doing? What is he doing that I can use? And I, I stayed up all night. Like, I remember I got no sleep. I just <laughs> nervous i just got so nervous about the whole thing i was going off no sleep i went into nebulous and the first brass i played was this laggy german brass and i was like oh my god i was like if i go out to lag i'm gonna be so tilted and i I barely pulled it out laggy nades um Mm -hmm. and then i was gonna cat fight and before i could even really think about what happened it was over yeah and he was like gg bye (laughs) <laughs> so I was like wow so now uh okay what well, i mean i guess one thing i want to ask though is that during this period though because i think from the community's perspective like you were just 
dominating every tournament and you clearly were, and you, you had developed the confidence that you had, but, um, was there still a part of you that like, that was like, was there an internal struggle that you had? Cause I mean, it, I remember at that point as well, you were, you were at the, at Nebulous and you were playing a lot on top of like your classes and stuff. And I, I can imagine it probably took a toll on you. And what was like, what was going on behind the scenes for you um, while you were, you know, seeing the success? Like, were you just driven by the next tournament win or were you also worried about it? I was I was driven a lot that next tournament win um, mm-hmm. and prepping for it and I loved having goals in front of me that I could train towards and people that I could train to beat. Yeah, uh, it was so much fun. But I mean, man, after winning two GG and and people reaching out to me to sponsor me and yeah. having phone calls and interviews and contracts in front of me, I remember the deciding factor. For whether I signed that contract or not, was me going into the Arm Central chat and saying, "Look, guys, um, will you like stand beside me and play this game with me for like a year? Will you guys have my back for a year?" Mm-hmm. And everyone was like, "Yeah, totally, oh, awesome!" And it, it was like the sense of family. And I was like, "Oh, this is what I this is what I need then." Yeah, you know? yeah. and I w- I was going through a really rough time that year because I mean freshman year. Um, they do cuts at my school for theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do cuts, and some people just, you know, decide to study elsewhere. And some of my my best friends, uh, you know, up and left, and that's that's a lot. You know, typically yeah. people have like one or two really really good friends, and then everybody else is, you know, kind of school friends. You see them, you're you're buddy buddy with in class, but. You're not somebody who'll call out to a pizza shop at three in the morning to vent about <laughs> your drama too, right? Yeah, no. <laughs> and exactly. you know, having those people leave my life, I just, I so badly wanted to fill that gap with something, and and the Arms family really, really did that for me, and I'm really thankful mm-hmm. for that time. Um, but I saw myself as the only sponsored player, um, for this game, and so I felt this pressure of like. I need to make sure that I'm winning these tournaments and paving the way so that people see the potential of this game and people can invest interest in these other players who, mind you, any of them could have been sponsored but me, right? I I don't know why it was me. Maybe because I won those tournaments and I was having a great streak and the interview went really well. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know why it had to be me. It could it, it could have been and should have been so many other people, right? There were so yeah. many talented people in the arms community, so many phenomenal personalities, but having that pressure of, of feeling like I needed to win for the community, which it, it's a horrible mindset. Oh my God. <laughs> like that is so toxic. I can't even begin to explain that. It just so it shreds and pay, you know, mind you paying money every time I was covering my venue fee half the time just winning these tournaments Um, and having to walk 30 minutes in New York City mind you it's not very warm during December with all my (laughs) and so winning a tournament or losing I had plenty of time to think about it on the way home Um, and yeah oh god it was just by the time I got home from these tournaments and you know they lasted a long time and they did yeah depending on time zones uh they could end at around 11 or 12. And so I'd get home at 1230, do homework, 
practice monologues, performance tech stuff, wrap up around two in the morning, uh, and then have class at eight in the morning. So wake up at seven. <laughs> but then when it's two in the morning and you're in bed, all you can think about is I need to get to sleep. And when you think about that, all you want to do is just stress out about how you can't sleep. So then I fall asleep at four in the morning. I'm getting three hours of sleep every day. And then it just yeah. it just all adds up to this. Because uh, then, then when you're running off of two hours of sleep, and I'm not making excuses for any of this, right? No, yeah, yeah. But when all these factors adding up, when you do maybe get so close to a tournament win or get nowhere near close and just mm-hmm. totally bomb and you're 20 bucks out for venues fees and time to pay and drinks and food to eat and you're walking back home it's just like all you want to do is just find something else to blame but yourself yeah right yeah i mean i i get that i think i mean well, there's a there's a lot to unpack there but i think well you know i i it's like you you had like a whirlwind of stuff going on because not only are you a college student which can already be stressful especially if you're a freshman um you also had your acting career that you were working on, which is, you know, already another strong commitment that, that's taken from you. And then so playing arms, I mean, like what, four to five hours a day, sometimes more. Um, and so, I mean, you had so many things going on and it seemed to me that you we already touched on how video games and the competitive gaming aspect of your life, like was this, passion for you and you saw the desire to to push that further so that might have it felt like that was probably the one thing for you um that you were putting most of your effort in you thought this is like this is what i can do and not and i mean not to mention the fact that you're putting the pressure on yourself thinking i have to bear the burden of the community because i'm the i'm the one who got sponsored and you know other people could have but i'm i'm the chosen person for like this community right now i mean <laughs> yeah. not not like a like i'm not saying that is like a super egotistical way i'm no, just saying like totally. you know you were the sponsored person so you felt this obligation to perform better in a sense um so i guess i mean i from all of those circumstances like it's really no wonder that at some point you would burn out or like you would come hit this wall because you're not always going to get the tournament results you want. And when you're putting that much time into everything going on, it's like you want to succeed so bad. You want something to be going well. Yeah. And I mean, I was just praying and fighting to try and get someone else sponsored to take this load off of myself that I had put on myself, mind you. I'm not saying yeah, anybody else yeah. put this, you know, horrible mindset onto myself. Mm-hmm. When I finally got Gore sponsored. I was like, okay, I can like, I can lean back a little and breathe. Um, I felt because not only am I putting pressure on myself, but when you have somebody who says, okay, I'm going to pay $3,000 for you to fly to this venue, uh, <laughs> live there, yeah. eat there. Um, because you're going to win first place, even though the first place prize is nothing <laughs> compared to what they're trying to get me out there because yeah. they're investing in me, right? They're investing in me, hoping I stay at the top while arm slowly rises and those prize pots slowly rise yeah. so that while I'm still there at the top, they have me in their back pocket. That's their hope and dream. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so, oh my God, when you just have that much money behind you, it just feels like, not only are you letting people down when you lose, you're just you're just wasting stuff away. Yeah. And so 
what do you think was um, maybe the turning point for you then from thinking like having the confidence and thinking things are going well to you starting to feel like more of a sense of dread or, or starting to go like on the downturn, like what you've sort of had a switch. As soon as people started throwing around the word that I was the best, as soon as that happened, it was dread. And it was, it was like a high for maybe five minutes, literally five minutes of being like, I did it. I'm the best. Like, oh my God, people think I'm the best now. This is awesome. And then it was, wow, this sucks. Because nobody wants to see the best person win at anything. Yeah, no, I mean, that. yeah, that's a good, a good point. Everyone wants to see the underdog win and um, you, you, I mean, even at that point, you still have people rooting for you, but it's you, like people are expecting you to win. So even if you win, it doesn't seem like much. And if exactly. you lose, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you lose, it's a downward. Everything. Yeah. yeah. They want to see you lose. I think zero, um, you know, from Smash Brothers, who had like the longest win streak in a tournament in history. Uh-huh. He put it the best. You never want to be first. You always want to be second at best. You want to be the top eight. That way people are constantly rooting for you to upset something. And when you win, you're on top of the world and everyone's behind you. Because when you're first, everything is against you. Yeah. So props to anyone who's taking the number one spot at something and keeping their head up high. Because it's it's really, I mean, it's really one of the worst things ever. Yeah. And how how do you... think that that impacted how you interact with others at this time. Oh my God, like, completely. <laughs> completely. In what, in what way though? Like what, what, so what were you noticing about like how you. Everybody wants to see you lose at mm-hmm. everything. And you, when you do lose, want to do everything you can to get that power back. Yeah. And so, I mean, oh my God, when I would like lose to somebody online you know, the second I lose, my heart sinks and mm-hmm. I go in the, you know, arm central to get added four times. And it's like, ah, I beat, I beat, you know, resolve, haha, which, yeah. you know, is so meaningless, but it just feels like such a, you know, knife in your gut and they're just twisting it. Like, haha, you're not as good <sighs> as everybody says, haha, you lose, right? Yeah, no, it, it's, it's definitely like, that's one of the, the most difficult things is, like I, I mean, I experienced it for sure. Was like you when you're a top player and you and people beat you. They want to like make that. They want to take pride in that, and them taking pride in that hurts you a lot. And it's diff, it's very difficult, especially when you're dealing with people online, to keep your frustration and anger in because it's really easy to try to totally. Dis- it's really easy to try to like dismiss like to dismiss their win or um like lash yeah, out. Yeah, you never want to do that. You never want to dismiss somebody's efforts, their wins, or anything because they earned yeah. it and it's well deserved. But it's um, hard. And, and you know what? It might not even be. There might even be some kind of external thing affecting it. There might be lag. There might be so and so. But I promise this is to anybody out there trying to make an effort at being competitive in esports smile say great game compliment what they did to take that win ignore mm-hmm. any outside factors because at the end of the day you guys are both trying your best at something you love and 
you don't want to ever diminish someone's efforts because you, you wouldn't like it if they did it to you. Yeah. No, that's that. I mean, that's very good advice. And it's, it's I, not, I wish I wish I uh, I wish I told myself that uh, <laughs> when I was undergoing this, because you know what? Like, sure, maybe something's not balanced about the game, but mm-hmm. it's, it doesn't take an Einstein to figure that out. People know this. They don't like hearing it over and over again. Um, and while you may be more informed about the game you're playing than somebody else, it's there's there's never any good out. What do I want to say? Never any good outcome to a toxic interaction or lashing out at somebody. And yeah. God, I mean, I just lashed out so many times, whether it was like, oh, this guy's laggy. Oh, this this arm sucks. Oh, this character's broken. And you know what? I I was probably right about 75% of those, but it really, it really doesn't matter because then you become not only your number one and people want to see you lose, but then you're number one and people want to see you lose. <laughs> they really want to see you lose. Yeah. Because, oh, and- he told my friend that he didn't, you know, he told my friend he lagged. That guy, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's t- Yeah, I mean, it- and I mean, so look, looking back, I mean, do you find that you, I mean, do you, do you find that you have some regrets with how you handled things then? Totally. I mean, totally. But who doesn't, right? Everybody no. has their fair share of, yeah. oh, I could have done this. But, you know, I say that, I say that I'm at fault, but I wasn't the only one. Um, no, no, you weren't. Oh my goodness. I, I just remember the feeling like the community totally turned on me on a dime and, Oh, that's totally not the case. Like there were so many people that supported me and I'm, I'm relentlessly grateful for all the good messages and awesome stuff I would get and see in the Twitch chat and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like I'm relentlessly grateful, but for some reason as human beings, we just love to latch on to the one or two or three that are negative yeah. and make it seem like it's 300, right? <laughs> And so then you start treating people like they're haters, right? Or that they're against you. And when you do that, shockingly enough, they become your haters. Um, yeah, I remember yeah. there was there were times where like I would I would feel like there was only a few people that were like not like you know upset with me or like angry towards me. But at that point, it feels like those are the only people that matter. Though you, you completely disregard the the dozens of people that really support you and are there for you. And when you're that involved in anything, like, like, obviously, it hurts. yeah, gaming, sports, your job, like if you're that dedicated to it, you're so involved and you, it's hard to take that step back and like have a more of a, a voice of reason. Like at that point, you're just like, oh man, like this is so frustrating. Like I'm trying my absolute best and people are still hating on me. And then you're like, well, okay. In retrospect, it's only a small uh, minority of them, but at the time, it's it's all that you care about. <laughs> and it hurts a lot, you know? Because, you know, who can say? Well, a very few can say. And I try my best to become one of these people who can say. They walk around all day thinking, I'm good enough. I'm going to do amazing today. Today is gorgeous outside, even if it's pouring. People around me think I'm good enough. And I hope I can instill a sense of um, passion and wonder into them. You know, we go around thinking, I'm not good enough that one person that one day, five years ago, said, oh, that I sucked at something, so I must Mm -hmm. suck at it. So why bother putting time into it? 
right? And so with arms, it kind of became that a little bit. Um, yeah. And so as a defense mechanism, you know, people come up with all sorts of stuff, whether it's lashing out, whether it's ignoring people, whether it's um, just walking away from it all, um, all sorts of coping mechanisms. And um, I remember at the time, I just remember there was a sense of like, oh, everyone thinks I'm going to win every tournament. I want like a cool rivalry. Like I want more rivalries in the arms community. That way the attention's off of me and maybe like one or two other people at, the, at that moment in time. And there's this sense of like, oh, who's going to win? It's going to be an awesome fight no matter what. I don't know if that really ever happened. Maybe with like Gore and like Jared, there was that sense of wonder and rivalry for a little bit. Mm -hmm. But I don't... I don't know. I mean, that's from my point of view, right? I, I don't know what other people really thought. Um, and that just didn't really pan out well because, uh, you know, <laughs> rivalry talk and smack talk, there's a fine line between that and just being disrespectful and offensive. Yeah. And once you do cross that line, there's, there's really no going back. Um, mm. So, yeah. <laughs> well... <laughs> well, it's, it's a it's a tough talk. It's a tough thing to discuss, and that's I mean this this season of our show is it's not easy for the guest. <laughs> it's it's really tackling some of our 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 deepest regrets, honestly, and like things that we're not proud of, and I guess kind of figuring ways to to overcome them. And I mean, and that's what that's what's really important. And and for you. What sort of, you know, I remember you, you sort of withdrew from the scene towards the end of your career totally. and, and what sort of helped you kind of find your way back? Cause talking to you now, it seems like you really have a very, um, you have a very down to earth perspective of realizing like where you may have gone wrong and what you did well and what kind of helped you. Sure. Yeah. I mean, like I said, in that scenario where you're at the top, you feel like the world's against you. You're like a wounded animal backed in a corner. And so you're doing everything you can to just get what you came for, right? You're on the hunt mm -hmm. for whatever it is you started coming out for. And uh, when I picked up arms, you know, it was that idea of this is a new fighter. If we all start at the same time, I can become the best. And I didn't want to be just called the best by somebody. I wanted to set out for one specific goal and be the best. And, you know, from watching that E3 thing, it was winning the belts or winning a Nintendo official tournament, right? Where all the best competed. Mm -hmm. That's what I set out to do. And that's what I wanted. And that's what kept me going forward, um, even in the really downs and outs of it. And I think the biggest issue of the whole thing was 99% of the communication I was doing with other players was all online based over Discord, right? Yeah. And I mean, tone gets so misconstrued and lost online and there's not a human being across from you so it's so hard to empathize and to to draw back stuff we have these beautiful things called filters as human beings <laughs> and when you're talking yes. to a screen it feels like you can just lay waste to it yeah. right but we all know that's not the case um but it's hard to it's hard to make that and I, it's I'm, hard to make the distinction if you're yeah. not if you're not mentally there. 
Yeah, I remember talking to, to JM Canada uh, recently. We we're talking about this like same topic and talking about like how you filter yourself online. And like, that's one of the things that I always did to keep the like keep toxicity away and, and t- treat people with respect, even if we're, it's just over text is like Absolutely. Tre- treating the conversation as if they were sitting across from me. Right. And Good then for you. that's a really yeah. great, really great, great mindset to have. Yeah, no, it, I mean, it's, it certainly helps and like it helps uh, put things into perspective, you know? And um, I guess like also I, I one of the things I want on for you is what were some of um then what were some of the highlights for you from your time and like what were you really proud of looking back what did you find enjoyment of great question yeah i I get to finally talk about (laughs) when i didn't suck um oh my god every win i know i know i say like there was a time period where it felt like i was winning a lot of tournaments but every win felt just as important and exciting and amazing as the last one. Mm-hmm. Like there was never a time I won and I was like, oh, all right, time to go home. It was like, I mean, quite literally, you can go to Waypoint where they have my jersey on the wall because I That's was there awesome. every night, right? When they first yeah. opened, I was there. I was their only customer pounding the pavement with arms and they'd all watch. And every time I won, it was this huge pop off of like, you know, dropping the controller, getting out the seats, screaming, high-fiving people. And just, uh, oh my God, it's such a rush. It's such a sense of like community in every win. When I had my my friends behind me on Discord who would message me, be like, congrats, that was awesome, that was crazy. Or I'd have friends in the stream being like, that was so sick, what you did. Mm-hmm. Um, and that never changed. That was amazing. And I'm proud of every effort I made to, to earn those wins. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm really proud of how I, I held myself in person. Because yeah. over online, you know, eh, things get things get heated when you know. We we well, we talked about that, but in person, yeah, no. yeah, yeah, I think I was just myself, and mm-hmm. I'm really proud of how I interact with people, and I really just did want everybody to have an amazing time at whatever venue we were at. Uh, that was my goal, yeah. and whenever there were times that people would maybe be like, "Oh, Resolve in person did this or said that." Those are the ones that didn't bother me. And those are the <laughs> ones that gave me clarity where I went, oh, um, I don't have to let everything people say impact me because there are some things that I know that, that just aren't true um, in my heart, not in my uh, volatile state of winning or losing, but in my heart, I'll just be like, I know that's not true. So mm-hmm. I think I can afford myself to let that go into the left ear and out the right. Um, yeah. And not hold it against them, but maybe I should distance myself from them because that wouldn't be good if it did hit me in the heart one day. Mm-hmm. Um, because those things do carry along uh, much longer than they should. And I'm really proud of that final win at the uh, the U.S. Online Open because yeah. that was what the whole journey was about. That was everything mm-hmm. I worked towards, and I fought against everybody that I ever had a real rivalry with. Yeah, and every win felt like everything depended on it. And I hate to put, you know, say I put pressure on myself again, but how could you not? When it yeah. felt like this was the culmination of a year and a half, almost two years of work. And like the first two GGP I won, I, I pulled an all-nighter that night. I remember being on my computer just talking to people the whole night away, 
being like, I just can't sleep. I just need to keep practicing. Oh. Just match up a little more. I'll be ready. And I remember practicing against Astro's coil and mm-hmm. saying, as long as I don't go up against the coil in this, I'll, I'll be okay. And that was what the grand finals were. <laughs> that's what the grand final was. And I yeah. was so, my heart was in my stomach that whole time until I took the first game and I was like, oh my God, just let go, Henry. You can do this. Just let yeah. go of these negative thoughts. You can't do it. Screw balance. Screw what people say about the matchup. Screw what you think about the matchup. Just go with it and put on a good show. Mm-hmm. That's what this is all about. And it wasn't until... We were 2-2 in that final set. Then I remember messaging him or just saying to him, I was like, I, don't, I really don't care who wins. Mm-hmm. I was like, I really I really don't care at this point. This has been the coolest set ever. This is everything I could have wanted. Like, this is what being the best in my mind is. And I, I saw it in that moment. It was like, this is what it is. It's giving it your all. It's the culmination of all your efforts. It's with... Uh, dedicated group of friends behind you cheering you on this is what it is because uh, i know if i lose my friends will be there and i know if i win my friends will be there yeah. and so in that moment it really didn't matter and i think that's why that was the, the most i had yeah. playing the game and easily the, the coolest match i think i've i've played that yeah. i can watch over and over again and just remember every second of it and every thought um that was like arms to me. That was, when I think arms, it was definitely that. And just that journey of that tournament. I mean, I mean, that's a really great, I think, I mean, one culmination of, of your career and also kind of a, a culmination of everything that we've we've talked about tonight is like sort of all the the successes that you had and the struggles you've had. And I know you're you were saying like, we you know, we've talked a lot about your struggles. And I think that that's it's great to see the because, I mean, there's no discounting that you like were. And if you went back to arms and the scene was still active, probably still are one of the best players in the world because you just have. A, a high level of focus and dedication and um, a passion for the for the game and the mechanics and you and it's you know those are the things I think that really set you apart and really defined you and um it's really I mean one also awesome to see that you got the kind of conclusion to the storyline that you wanted and um and also kind of looking back also saw where you failed and, and saw what you could have done better. And I think the the time that you spent in the scene will really only help you as you continue to go through life and see how those things will impact like your relationships in, in all other fields, you know, and the things that you learned from it. Completely. I completely agree. And I, I don't know if I, <laughs> I would go back to arms because it's, it just feels like such a perfect cap on everything I went through and I I did what I set out to do and I don't know if there's a goal higher than what I got for myself besides maybe going back to Japan and like winning something in Japan um, it just felt like no as much as I love the Japanese players I, I, I really do they're the nicest people on planet earth they weren't what I was up against the beginning of the journey and they weren't like the people I trained with so hard and played with all the time late at night 
they weren't those people because of the region lock and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it was people like you, Nobi, Gore Magala, Griff, and just winning that tournament with everybody there was just such a perfect culmination of it. I don't think I could ever, you know, go back and seriously put my mind to it. Yeah. Um, after all that stress, all that effort, all those highs and lows, um, and with with the community and everything, uh, I think that's one of the the reasons that that tournament was so fun was because ninety five percent of the people watching were not from the arms community. They were just no, people yeah. who were hoping for a smash <laughs> announcement or something, and were watching it. And so nobody knows who I am. And so nobody knows if I was the best at a certain point. So I don't have anyone to let down. Mm-hmm. Which is why I think a lot of the chat was uh, was on my side for some of the stuff. And I was like, why are people rooting for me now? I, was like, I don't <laughs> understand why they would want me to win this. And yeah. I was like, oh, they don't even know who I am. They just see I'm playing the lead character. They think that's awesome. <laughs> cool. <laughs> exactly. I'm, I'm okay with that. I'll, I'll back that. Yeah. And I guess one of the well, and one of the questions I kind of want also to sort of I guess end with is like from your lengthy time in the arm scene and playing games competitively, what what would be some of like your top pieces of advice or suggestions or like for people in the competitive scene playing either arms or other games? Like, what are some of the takeaways for you that you maybe wish you would have learned earlier, or things that you think are um, vital to, to having a good outlook. Yeah, absolutely. I would say first, first and foremost, make sure it is something you love doing. Make sure what you're addicted to isn't just the feeling of winning something. Mm-hmm. Um, there does have to be some kind of love or appreciation or drive to just do it, whether it's winning or losing. Um, because if you can walk away from a loss still feeling like you had fun, then 90% of the work is done. Um, and uh, everything, no matter how much you love it, at some point will become uh, some source of extreme effort and studying. Uh, you're going to have to study matches, study people, study how they want to fight, study how they want to approach study um, when they back off, when pressure gets to them, if they give in to pressure easily, how much pressure it'll take before you need to lay off and play defensive. You need to really analyze people, not just who they're playing. Uh, And last but not least, and this is the best advice I can give to anyone doing anything, even though it is competitive, and at the heart of it, we are playing against other human beings, you have to remember they are human beings <laughs> and that it doesn't matter what yeah. you're doing in life. We're all on the same journey through life. Whether you're taking a class and trying to get a good grade, whether you're playing at somebody and trying your best to make sure they lose, we're all on this journey in life together. And there's no sense in making somebody else's journey harder. If you make their journey easier, your journey is going to be easier and it's going to be a lot more fun at the end of the day when you can turn around and have a group of friends behind you as opposed to just having a bunch of people you've beaten behind you who are waiting and foaming at the mouth for you to lose. Yeah. Um, because when you do lose, you it will feel like you're just completely alone 
And having that support behind you and all the people that you've played against, that you've supported, will change it from something you want to win at to something you just want to do. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. that's the best advice I can give. Well, I think, I mean, I think that's, that's fantastic advice. And I think that, um, again, I think a good part of that is like not getting so focused on the game that you forget maybe why you started playing and like the fun of it and the people around you having such a great, a, a big impact on you as well. Um, totally. So. so remember your origin. There's a yeah. TLDR version of it. <laughs> exactly. That's a, no, yeah, yeah, that's a good, that's a good summation of it. Um, and I mean, Resolve, thank you. I mean, one, thank you so much for agreeing to be on our, our show and sitting down with us. I know, I guess compared to some of the, other people we've had in the show talking about like very specific events. This is more of a, I guess like sort of a loose timeline of not necessarily talking about a specific instances, but more or less talking about your journey through the scene as a whole. And I think that it really, I mean, it showcases sort of what you need to do to get to the top and the struggles you face on your way. And when you get there and then like sort of on the downturn, and um, I appreciate you opening, opening up to us about, you know what was going on and everything about that um no thank so. you man i know yeah. like i said time is definitely your most valuable resource and um you're definitely giving up a lot of your time for me to be here and just talk no and listen to any blabber so I, I really do appreciate that more than i can say yeah um, and if you ever want me to blabber more i i <sighs> i sadly remember every single event that's that's okay <laughs> we and every interaction <laughs> we we may we may very well uh take you up on that um and uh, one last thing is please give a, a shout out to um you know where the, where people can find you and um we, i think we already talked about where they can find your audio drama but feel free to give that another shout out yeah of course you can find me on twitter at henry underscore resolve um my twitter handle changes every time my mood swings so just about every <laughs> week but just look up henry resolve you'll find me there you go um and that's where you'll find a little bio about me and stuff find me on facebook at my name um and feel free to reach out for anything if you want to reach out to ask about arms about esports about voiceover about acting about boxing about anything in the world i promise i reply to literally everything you could you could message me telling me you're hungry and i'd probably recommend (laughs) what i ate that day um so yeah awesome well um well thank you so much and again any listeners you can find our show um really wherever you're listening right now and our i think our our current release schedule for new episodes is going to be on the the last friday of every month so look Mm -hmm. forward to that and we're also uh hoping to have some some bonus episodes with some really interesting people coming up as well so um thank you so much resolve and to our listeners and we will see you next time see ya Wholesome Transmissions is hosted by me, Pineapple Freak, and Radio. Radio does our production, and our editing is done by Radio and myself. Our logo is designed by Griffical, and music used in the show is courtesy of Scrimps. Additional music used in this episode is provided courtesy of Resolve from his audio drama That Night on Venom. Mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. <laughs>